Today we get to talk about what it means to have a servant's heart. And uh, throughout this whole series, we've been talking about the heart and how God desires uh, ultimately our hearts above all things. Um, and our culture is so focused on what we can bring in our talents and what we can bring in our influence or our finances or what we can bring in, in our charisma or whatever. But God looks first and foremost at the status and, and attitudes of our hearts. And so we've gotten to talk about that, and I hope it's been encouraging to you. It's been super convicting for me because I'll be like doing something and I'll be like, oh yeah, my heart. Uh, and so we, are, we talked about having a broken heart and how God wants to heal our hearts. And this is not just like one time God heals our hearts, but God's in, in the process of continually healing us. Then we talked about how, having a guarded heart, about how we don't only allow the truth and the words of God to enter into who we are. He defines us, not the world or the culture. And then last week we talked about having a grateful heart, which is an attitude that's cultivated. It's not something that's probably normal or natural. It's an attitude that is cultivated over time and in the attitudes of our heart and focusing on the things that God has done and who he is and not just on what we see. So today is kind of the culmination of all of that in talking about what it means to have a servant's heart. Uh, the, big, the joke, there's a comedian, Tim Hawkins, that talks about if you have a servant's heart in the church, then they'll just want you to go stack chairs. Like, oh, look at him stack those chairs. What a servant's heart. Or look at him do the grunt work. This, oh, servant's heart. Look at him. And he's like, I don't want a servant's heart. I don't want to stack chairs, right? Uh, and in some ways, we think of the servant's heart as someone that just go, goes and uh, is kind of like a servant or a slave, right? Go do the grunt work. But the attitude of a servant's heart is the attitude of Christ. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, so let's pray. Are we good? Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. Father, we, are, uh, we believe you are here with us. We believe you are speaking through us and through your word. Um, God, would you just do a mighty work today in and through us? God, would you take your words that in some ways are sometimes hard words, uh, sometimes strong words. Would you help us to reconcile those in our hearts? God, that you would make our hearts right and full, and you'd give us your heart for the people around you that you see and that you love. And we thank you for this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, or you go to the events at version, um, you'll find us. And we're going to talk about Philippians chapter 2. So Philipp, the book of Philippians is an is a encouraging book. It's, it's a heartfelt book. It's, you know, if you read the first couple of verses in the ch first chapter of Philippians, it's very much like I, we, Paul saying, I love you, I miss you, I think of you in my prayers always. It's just kind of this affirming, encouraging, just lovey-dovey kind of, kind of uh, a chapter and story. Um, and this is found in, in chapter 2, and this really um, applies not only to what we were going to talk about today, but it kind of hit home for me this week and what's going on in our country and in our world. So let's read this together. So if there's any encouragement in Christ... So these are affirmations to the church. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort for love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul is saying for us to really live in the, the life of Christ, to have empathy, to show love, to participate in what the Spirit's doing, uh, for, for joy to be complete, there has to be some sort of unity happening in the body, right? Unity is an inter interesting thing because I think sometimes we think unity is that everyone thinks the same. That's not unity. Not everyone should think the same in a church or in a body, right? We all bring different gifts. We all bring different talents. 
perspectives, backgrounds. You know, some of us are younger, some of us are older, we're new to faith, we're old in faith, whatever. You know, we shouldn't all come with the same, same thought process all the time. Amen? Like, that's not healthy. That's not good. And I think some ways in Christianity, we've been like, unless everyone, everyone should think exactly like us. Right? That's not unity. Unity is people with different mindsets, different thought processes, different backgrounds, different perspective, different worldviews, different hearts, different values, coming together towards one goal. See the difference there? And what we've done in a poor way is allowed people to think different and act different and have different ideas and perspectives and visions and dreams or whatever and say that that's not unity. What unity is is that we're all different, right? Like, I look different than you look. I like think different things that you like. That's the way it's supposed to be. But we come together for one purpose, and the purpose of, is the gospel, and the purpose is the Great Commission. We are to go and show Christ's love to all people, right? So it's not that we're also to have unity and look the same and act the same and think the same only and not be thinking people, right? It's that we are supposed to think and work in, through the Spirit and what he's saying to us, and then together we go towards one goal, right? That's the beauty of the church. So this is what he says. Are we, are we all right? That makes sense? Okay, verse 3. Do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit. This, now, this word gets a little dicey. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or deceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The word, that word selfish ambition is translated as, uh, as politicking. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do, do nothing just for your own political gain or for your own for your own, uh, just getting people on your side so that you're right. And more people that are right on my side is better than people that are, if there's less people on that side, right? That's what the word means. It means that it's a courting distinction between people, a desire to put oneself forward. It's about being partisan and about creating fractions, okay? So he's talking to the church. He's talking to people of Christ here. Do nothing for politicking. Do nothing about the word, it's actually electioning or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That doesn't happen in our country. <laughs> Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have the mind of, among yourself, which is, in your, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. The first thing on how we have a servant's heart is that we lift others over ourselves. You know, some people think having a servant's heart is that we put others first, but it's actually that we lift others up. It's not just that, okay, no, you can go first. I open the door, you get to go first. The attitude of Christ and the words that are translated are way more about lifting up, elevating others over yourself, not just putting someone first. There's a distinction there. There's a difference there. One of the things that's been, that was hard about this week in our country, anyone think it was a hard week in our country? You should, and if you don't think that, you should probably read and pray about that. It was a hard week in our country. And the thing that I didn't see among followers of Jesus at times, I didn't see that we were way more about elevating others above ourselves, and I saw more about us trying to get our own selfish ambition. My heart's beating harder now. And it was really sad. It was a sad, really sad week for me as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus because I'm looking at people who are supposed to model the life and attitudes of Christ and I'm seeing them electioning and politicizing 
I'm seeing them as putting their own interests among the interests of others. And I wonder if Jesus would just want to elevate everyone else up and ahead. I wonder if Jesus would care less about the political system and care more about the personal person. Care more about the heart of the person. The heart of the people involved. That we wouldn't just fraction, but we would love and serve. And that we would not just put someone else first, but we would lift others up. I think sometimes we... I am, I'll say this about myself. Sometimes I am silent because I don't like controversy. Anyone else? But after thinking about this, one of the things I think we've done in the church is we've thought unity is that we all think the same and act the same and vote the same and watch the same news program. But unity is actually people from all sides of every aisle who can come together and love Jesus and love others. And to serve is to adamantly reject disunity. It's to adamantly reject selfish ambition or conceit. It's to it's violently reject that we elevate ourselves above other people or that we try to build more consensus on our side and against their side. That is not Jesus. Jesus was, a, was radically different than what the culture was saying at this time. And so as people of Jesus... As people of Jesus, as people of God, our call, our mandate to have a servant's heart is that we will not look only at our own interests, but we will look and we will elevate others above ourselves. Not just letting someone go first, but actually elevating and lifting and serving others up, ahead, and above. lifting others over ourselves, putting other people first, putting other people ahead, believing the best, listening more, believing that maybe something that I don't understand I could learn from. Anybody? Believing that maybe what I've seen might not be 100% the truth. Maybe I need to like listen and think and pray and love and talk to people who I think, who think differently than me. That's what Jesus did. One of my, my, all my favorite stories in the Bible are when Jesus is around the table with the tax collector and with the Pharisee. What did Jesus do? He surrounded himself with people on every side of the spectrum. The tax collector, the sinner, the prostitute, the Sadducee, the scribe. He was with them all, and he, he surrounded himself with people, not so that he could uh, try to like, get everyone to sway to his side, right? But he wanted to hear their story, and he loved them, and he spoke into their lives. And when they answered th- him things, he would answer. And he put himself in situations that were not about unity or one-mindedness, but they were about being out there and serving others and elevating others over himself. Jesus did that. The first thing we do and how we serve is that we lift others first. And I would just like sidebar on this. If I think, you know, Jesus is not a, uh, tied to a political party in our country. You realize that? Jesus is not tied to a certain view or a certain way of voting in our country. Jesus disrupts and destroys this system. Do you understand that? The love of Jesus destroys the political system that we live in. It's above, it's better, it, it casts no sides, it is all there, and it's all love, and it draws all people to him. And if we, as followers of Jesus, can understand that, first of all, we won't be so like, oh my gosh, I'm in outrage all the time. But our actions will be of love and putting others first. Right? 
We, t- we absolutely dehumanized everyone in that situation this week. Christians did. And Jesus died for every single person, and God created every single person. He cares about the hurt of every single person, and we should too, and if we don't, we are in sin. And we are not loving like Christ would. Okay, let's move on. Do you hear that? you hear that in my heart? Okay, let's move on. All right, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, that, that Jesus models, who, he was in the form of God, so he was God. The theology of, of, of Christianity is that Jesus was all God and all man, right? He had the frailty of man, but he didn't sin like man did, but he got tired, you know? He was tempted every single way, but yet he was God, fully holy, fully good. But he... Even though he was like God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he emptied himself. And he took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, whenever you hear therefore, it's like the best news. Therefore. God was exalted, exalt, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Servanthood looks like putting others, lifting others up, not just putting them first. It also looks like humbly emptying yourself. Jesus, who had every right and had every had the fullness of God in him, had every right to be like, okay, listen, at any time, I'm sick of you people, right? I'm the king here. He had the right, and he is the king now, but he is king now because of what he did. He emptied himself to the point of death. And to model Jesus' life, to understand what it means to truly serve, it means that we humbly empty ourselves. In a culture that screams consumerism, you find more of what you want and more, become more full and have more and have more, have more, have more. Jesus models emptying. He models pouring out to nothing. And that's like totally countercultural, isn't it? Right? It's like, no, no, we're supposed to, I, I have so many options of what I want to eat right now after lunch. I could go to Mexicali, Cafe Rio. I mean, we could get burritos for days, right? This is, oh, praise the Lord. Praise him. But as a, in a consumer society, Jesus calls for us to empty. In a consumeristic society, even in church, well, that, uh, that music's better there. Preaching's way better there. There's way more people there, right? Again, those aren't bad things, but your heart should be not of how can I come and consume, which I don't think that's your hearts. I don't believe that. This is not a, you know. Our hearts are to come because we have emptied all week. That we have poured out our love to other people all week. That we've elevated people all week. That we've prayed and are tired because we've given so that we can be full. So we can be filled. And the model of Christ, again, this is, these are not easy things. It's not like, oh, Aaron does this all the time. He's just so serving all the time. These are hard words. I think these are hard teachings. I think these are hard scriptures. It's like, wait, 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 wait. If I'm supposed to model Jesus, that means that I need to continually be emptying myself always. And everything I feel and everything I hear is that I want to consume more. 
So we usually watch like Netflix at our house, right? Netflix people. Stranger Things, great show. Um, but we're watching like cartoons on TV, you know? And it, it was hilarious because we're watching cartoons on TV, Paw Patrol. <laughs> Whoever made that, it's like, seriously. Um, and every single commercial is a toy. And uh, every commercial, the kid's like, I want that. I want Ella sitting there, I want that. Ugh. You know? And it's so funny because we don't usually watch with commercials anymore because, thank God, we don't have to deal with commercials anymore. But it was hilarious to hear them. But then I was like, huh, we're just like consumers in nature. I want that. If I would never have watched that, I would never have realized I didn't have that, and then I would never have wanted it. But since I see it, now I want it. You know, my wife bought me a bike the other day, but now I want gloves, and I want a different helmet, and I want to get a, th oh, now I want all this stuff. My wife's the best. Right? You know, it's in our nature to consume, to add. I got a 55-inch TV, but the 80s are on sale. There's nothing wrong with having an 80-inch TV. Invite me over. We'll watch football. <laughs> I'm just saying, the culture that we fight against, we push against, not the people, the culture, is that we are not to be consumers. We are to be emptiers. That, I am, that we, should be, we should be spent in our days because we've poured out our love and we've served and we've helped and we've done our jobs well and we've stewarded well what God's given us. We've parented our best. We've made mistakes, but we've done our best. We've tried. And we should come back to God empty. That's what Jesus did. Even to the point of death. But then the good news, and this is what Jesus does for us, because Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus will never ask you to do something that he never went through, right? He'll never put you in a position that he, never, he doesn't understand. He'll never ask you to like, go and take a step that he didn't take, right? That's the beauty of it. Right? Do you ever have a boss you work for that would ask you to do things that he would never do or she would never do? Like, well, once you do do it, then I'll go do it. That's my rebellious spirit. <laughs> but then this is, what God Jesus did, or this is what God did. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So now wherever you go on this earth, for the most part, the name of Jesus is known. And the promise is that every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not because he flexed his muscle on earth, because he served, and he emptied, and he elevated all sorts of people other than himself up. Matthew Henry says that we must resemble him in life if we want the benefits of his death. The tension we're going to feel, especially, and this is, especially this is talking to believers in, in the church, is that the consumer mentality is, is just ingrained in the American church, right? Like, I mean, it is ingrained. And I think what's going to radically change this world and radically show other people who Jesus really is is not that we come to consume, but we come and we pour out. That we are people that are known for what we give and what we pour out and not what we can fill up on. In a world that wants us to be full, we have to be less. Are we doing okay? I'm really convicted, just so you know. All right, here's a, cool, here's a, here's a story, then we'll end. Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus and the disciples are up way north Israel in, um, uh, uh, what's the word, Caesarea Philippi, I believe, and, they're, and it's the first time that they say, okay, you're the Messiah, you're the guy, 
Took three years, but we really believe, Jesus. So if you ever have doubts, you're like, I don't know about this God thing. I really should believe better. Like, dude, Jesus, Jesus hung out with these guys every second of their lives for three years. And at the third year, they're like, okay, yeah, that's him. He's the guy. Okay, so have a little grace for yourself. You're good. Okay? So Peter had just acknowledged him, your Savior. And, and Jesus is like, bingo. Right? And upon that faith, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then they start, then this is the very next uh, part of the story. It says, from this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. See, even the faction that you don't like, Jesus loves, right? Even the faction that you're ticked off at when you watch whatever news place you watch. Jesus loves that side too. And we shouldn't villainize that side either. Love that side, even if you think they're the villains. Being, a, being called to Jesus' ways is hard. Anybody? Thank you. So he starts telling them, all right, now you need to believe that this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed by people that should accept me, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to die. And then Peter took him aside, so he's like, no, I'm, I'm the rock. I'm the one that you're going to build the church on. Jesus, come listen to me. Um, and he took him aside. He said, Lord, I, for, I forbid it. God forbid it, Lord. He's so righteous. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Jesus says this to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I heard people say, like, he's not talking to Peter. He's talking to Satan. He's like, no, I think he's talking to Peter. Peter. He's like, no, like what you're saying now is not from me. It's from the enemy. It's from the evil one. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And then get this. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You're not setting yourself on what God would want and his attitude and his heart. You're setting yourself on that. Because everyone would have said, no, it's a godly thing for Jesus not to die because he's creating this revolution. He's going to transform the world, right? But we, his thoughts were not fixed on what God's, attitudes would be or interests would be. It was fixed on what his interests were. Because I, in a way, I felt bad for Peter. But Peter was honestly just being kind of selfish. Like, no, Jesus, we need you. You're my guy. You think I'm number one. Come on, help me, you know? Then, then Jesus teaches this uh, teaching, and it's probably the hardest for me. Um, one of the hardest teachings, I think, that we, have, that we should wrestle with. So we become servants when we Elevate others first. We elevate, not just put them first, but elevate them. That means we invest in them so that they can reach their full potential, that they can use their gifts better, that they can be healthier, they can be uh, more of who God want them, wants them to be. And then, and then we serve by emptying. And when all we want is to consume, we actually just pour out. And the last thing that Jesus asks us to do is we, he asks us to give us, give him our whole lives. To serve means that we give our whole life. So then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus just started talking about this cross thing. Hey, and they knew what the cross was. They knew that the cross was like torture. It was torture. It was, it was like the worst possible way to die. Humiliation beating, I mean the worst. And, and he says, so if you really want to follow me, if you really want to experience what I'm, if you really want to be my disciple, my follower, you have to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross. 
For them, that would have freaked the you-know-what out of them, right? That would have been like, what? No, 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 no. I'm not dying no cross. You kidding me? I've seen that happen. I've seen that as a humiliation and a sign of torture. And Jesus is not saying, okay, all of us should be crucified now. Get in line. But I believe that God has put into each and every one of you a potential that was spoken and breathed into your life by him. A set of gifts, a purpose, a plan, a heart, an attitude that he has put in every person that's so unique and so personal. For Jesus, it was that he would go to the cross. That was what it meant to him. But for me, it's, I have my own cross to bear, right? You've heard that saying, that's my cross to bear, right? It's, it's, it's not that I have to just, oh, it's so hard. You ever see guys walking on like I-25 carrying, carrying the cross? You're like, man, that sucks. <laughs> Unless you're called to it, then go for it. But the point of it is that I deny what I feel in my own life I want and what I need, and I say, all right, God, what do you want? I say and I give my heart to him, and I empty myself of what I really want. Okay? And I pick up my cross. I pick up my part. I pick up what God had commissioned me to do for him in this life because this life is so short and then eternity is forever. And so I have an opportunity to reach a, reach a potential that he's put in me and I don't want to sabotage that. I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to consume and get more and more and feel comfortable and great when I know that God has asked me to do other things. He's asked me to give him his whole life. And sometimes that means uh, I get the call of pouring out and emptying out and giving him my life for his glory and not for mine. Then he says, forever, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. The word lose it means destroy it. Jesus, these words are too hard. Don't say these things. But we should wrestle with these. Lord, what in my life am I I just clinging on to and you want to destroy? And he doesn't destroy because he wants you to just be miserable like he was. Jesus had a blast, dude. Jesus was like known as like the party animal. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. They thought he was a drunkard, you know? I'm like, love Jesus, man. That's so cool. So Jesus isn't saying that. He isn't saying that if you give him your life, that it's just going to be miserable and terrible. But he says, no, when you, I want you to give, my, I want you to destroy this idea of what your life can be, and I want you to give you my life, or give, you know what I mean? Because the life I'm going to give you is so much better. Because the life I'm going to give you is so incredibly profound and fulfilling and you're going to have avenues and pathways that you would never get gotten in your own. And it might not look as sexy as it does uh, of someone else with all the pictures they post of their 5% of their life on Facebook. But when you go to sleep at night and when you get in front of the feet of Jesus, it'll be very much of a well done, my son, well done, my daughter. And when Christ returns or when we pass into eternity, that will be all that matters. That'll be the only thing that matters. Nothing else that you did will matter. But then what did you do? How did you instill my love into my children, into the people around you? Did you stand up for injustice? Did you speak for someone who didn't have a voice? Did you advocate for someone who was getting destroyed left and right every day? Or did you just allow that to happen? And that's what we'll be, we'll be called to. And so Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to focus on your own comfort and your own life, but I want you to empty yourself. I want you to destroy your life. But then you'll find it. You'll find a life that is true fulfillment. You will find a life 
real true life. Then he says this, for what profit is a man if he gains the whole world that he forfeits his soul? And that's not like at the end you go to hell. That's not what it says at all. He says, what, what is it if you, we continue to consume as followers of Jesus, or we can continue to politic as followers of Jesus, or we continue to just give a little bit as followers of Jesus, will happen that you will forfeit on this earth each and every day part of your soul. You will forfeit the thing that you really truly want more than anything else, and that's to serve the loving Father that we have and to use your gifts. You will forfeit that, and that will be your loss. That will be the thing that you will regret most. Right? It's not that, oh, if you don't do these things, you're going down. It's like, no, you're going to miss out on the fulfillment of what it means to have a life fully given to Jesus. And judging from what we've read today, it's not super easy. Anybody? It is so contrary to what we see and what we hear. But it doesn't mean we're, it doesn't mean we're always beaten up. Oh gosh, I just have to give more. Right? doesn't mean that we're unhealthy. doesn't mean that we have, don't have fun. doesn't mean we don't live a full life. But we understand our perspective. And whoever gains the whole world will forfeit his soul, but whoever, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come into the, father, the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will repay every man according to his deeds. And I think the greatest call that we ever do as followers of Jesus is we just continue to give our lives back to him. You guys can come up and get ready to play. Are we doing okay? This is kind of a hard message. I don't, for you, it's like, okay, how much do I really honestly just want to consume? How much do I really want to just like have my own way? The biggest lie is that if I give Jesus my life and my heart, is that it's just not going to be good. Right? And I will tell you, I tried to live without that for a long time, and I still do, and it sucks. Like, I might feel pretty good initially about things, like, I don't have to do any of this stuff, right? Which is the wrong perspective anyway. But ultimately, there's nothing more rewarding than being lined up with your creator and being able to do the things that God's asked you to be and do. So my, my challenge to us is not that we would be like, man, we suck. But that we would be people that would say, God, I just give you my heart. I give you my life. That we would be people that would choose to elevate and lift up. That we would feel the conviction of, am I doing something out of selfish ambition? Am I just trying to politic here? Am I doing, am I doing things, am I acting in a way that's more self-gratifying for me? Or can I choose to serve and help others first. And this is not like, uh, for you. So many of you are just like the biggest servants. But it, uh, this is my heart for you, that you would go and you would challenge the people around you to live the same. Because we have to, as followers of Jesus, portray Jesus' life, not the political structure we grew up in. Amen? We have to do that have to show people. We have to know who Jesus is and what he said and how he taught and who he spent time with and how we just like, he just messed up the whole system. If you choose to do that, if you choose to follow him, the cost is your life, but the reward is the life he always wanted for you.
The reward is fulfillment beyond what you could create on your own. The reward is being in front of Jesus, totally satisfied and complete, and him being proud of that you modeled your life after him. The the head of uh, World Vision, uh, who's feeding people all over the world and doing the incredible work, look him up, World Vision. Uh, they, uh, I heard him speak one time and he said something. He said, you know, when I get to heaven, I want Jesus to come to me. I want him to wipe a tear from my eye. Whoa. And, uh, and okay, we'll start over. Hey, so this is a guy from World Vision. And um, that's all right. It's okay. I want him to come up to me. I want Jesus to wipe a tear from my eye. And I want him to wipe the sweat from my brow. Because I gave it all I could. And I loved the best I could. And I served the most I could. And finally, I could come and be in front of my Savior. And it's overjoyed. And he would say, well done. And that might be hard for you because you don't know maybe what's my purpose, what's my gift, what's my, what's God's plan for me, how do I see that? Well, good news, we're going to talk about that in October. So come. (laughs) Every week it's going to be so good. And tell people to come. The thing that is just, the thing that's so disheartening for followers of Jesus is they don't understand that. So they feel purposeless. So let's pray for this. Lord God, would you just uh, speak to our hearts, Lord? Would you show us who you are right now? God, That thank you that, thank you that um, we also don't have to do this all in our own strength. That when, when, we ask, Lord, you give us your heart. You give us your perspective. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would take every heart here. That you would take every heart here. That you would show them who they are in you. God, that you would show them that, that they can serve you with all of their hearts and all of their life. God, and, and this, this step, I think it's a step of faith to say, Lord, I give you my whole life. So just if you're, everyone, no one's going to look around. I just want to pray for you. If you're like, man, I, I want to take that step again. I want to give Jesus my whole life. If that's you, just shoot your hand up real quick. I want to just pray for you. I give God my whole life. I know it's hard. Some days I'm going to take some of it back, but other days I'm going to give it all. If you're there, like, hey, I want to give you my heart again, Lord. Yeah. Jesus, we just want you to be number one. We want you to be the center of all things, God. Would you speak to us now as we sing this? as we sing this song to you. During the song, I would ask that um, you just take some time to think through the things that we've talked about. Like, is there areas of your life that you need healing in still? Is there areas of your life that you need to guard or change uh, your perspective of your heart? Is there areas of your life that you are not grateful for? Or, or is it that you're, the giving of your life is a hard thing? Would you just like, Take this time, and this is an honest moment between you and God, just as you sit here. I'm not going to ask you to stand or do anything. Just as you sit here as we sing, I want you to have real heart-to-heart with the Father. Would you express to him your doubts? Would you express to him your fears, your hurts, your worries, your concerns, your perspective? Would you let him shift and transform and change your heart? Let's sing this together.